Welcome to the podcast, Compass with Antoinette Lavecchia, where each episode I interview a new guest who is doing great good in the world. In episode three, I interview the award-winning guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, composer-arranger, educator, and author, John T. La Barbera. Today, I am excited to have a cherished friend, John T. La Barbera, the award-winning guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, composer, arranger, educator, author, born in New York City, fabulous human being, and someone I've collaborated with on and off for, it seems like forever. <laughs> John, buongiorno. Buongiorno, buongiorno, Antoinette. Come stai oggi? Benissimo. Benissimo. I um I would love to also say to the listeners that John and I share the same heritage of being Italian. I was born in Italy, but John's family a uh, very long history of Italian immigrants and not only that, but you grew up in New York City and you lived in yes. an Italian neighborhood. Yes. Um and so today we're going to talk about John's journey, um, especially his, his journey as a musician, but also his journey becoming one of the leading experts and translators, transcribers of Italian folk music. And I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's <laughs> such a pleasure. And it's such an uh, I'm very excited about doing this show with you. Yes. And, um, you know, it's it's been wonderful working with you over the years as we always collaborated on your beautiful projects and uh, having you at the um, the last film. Yes. Participation in that. We should also talk about that. Yes, uh, <laughs> absolutely. But, but before we begin, the first question I love to ask everyone on this episode is when was the first time in your life? Mm hmm that you experienced magic <laughs> whatever magic means to you what what was what when did that happen when when is the first time in your life that you experienced magic and if you could share that with us okay well uh, you know the first time probably was when i was a little child because to me the whole world was magic mm -hmm. um you know uh, it, it all seemed magical to me like um growing up in new york city especially in those days, um, you know, I mean, I remember my father taking me to Central Park. That was amazing because, <laughs> you know, we lived down in the East Village. I was born on East Fifth Street and First Avenue. And, um, you know, we weren't uh, around many parks uh, down. Well, there was Tompkins Square Park where, where I used to go to. But just I, being around trees, I, yeah. think, I think that had a big effect on me was uh, being being in a place where there were trees because we, there weren't many trees until we moved to Queens. I grew up, then we moved to Queens and I, you know, we had a yard and everything, but I got very attracted to trees and I'll never forget. Um, so the neighbor across the way was chopping down a tree and I felt, I felt like crying because I felt like I could feel the tears of the, I could feel the pain of the tree. Mm. And so now this tree story, I'll connect it to magic because um having that connection with trees and i remember like uh i was always 
thinking about trees, when I first went to Italy, uh, to Siena, I had a scholarship to study in Siena. Um, th that in itself was also magical because here I was, I grew up in New York City my whole life. And then waking up in a 17th century palace mm. <laughs> with a canopy bed mm. and, and the, the, uh, uh, one of those giant keys for the castle. Um, that was magic to me because I didn't realize, you know, that was my first experience of being in Europe. And, and you, uh, were in a, you were in a castle. It was a palace. It, it was, was a, a palace. No, it wasn't even a castle. It was a It was palace. a palace on the Via Montanini, <laughs> right in the heart of Siena. And uh, the Baronessa Sagardi was the uh, patron of the arts. And mm. she had given it to my, my uh, maestro, my professore, who started the program. And he made me the assistant director. So, of course, I had like, you know, I had to stay in the palace in the room that had the canopy bed and the frescoes and the Venetian chandeliers. And so, you know. <laughs> that was my, your first time in Europe? Yes, my first oh, time in Europe. Gosh. And I wound up in a palace. Okay, John, you, that, that <laughs> qualifies. <laughs> does, that, does that sound like magic to you? Yeah, that sounds like a, a big magic. Very I, it was magic. like, I was, you know, I was thinking of the, the story, The Prince and the Pauper, mm -hmm. where my, my life was, ha oh, and then, you know, I had these uh, occasions where I was like treated like royalty. I was like, uh, you know, in these situations that seemed magical. And the next minute I'd be down in this, you know, like, playing in the street and in Florence and, you know, playing by the Uffizi and, you know, magical things happened all the time there also. I just feel like, you know, I, I mean, the real magic really began, um, you know, living in Tuscany in those days and then being in Italy and Europe, you know, I was in my 20s. So I was in the right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was a perfect time for me in my life. And, you know, my, my goal and my quest was to absorb as much music as possible. So let's talk about that. So you, there you were, you were, uh, one thing I'd love to share is that when you were a child, mm -hmm. you had uncles who played the guitar and the mandolin. Yes. And they would play in your father's shoe store. They were playing. repair shop. My grandfather's shoe repair shop. Oh, I'm sorry, your grandfather's shoe repair yes. shop. Yes. Yeah. He was an immigrant. He came to America, to the East Village. Mm. He, he came from this beautiful town called Itri. Right on the Mediterranean coast. It's right near Gaeta in this beautiful uh, mountain town and uh, to the East Village, to Avenue B and 3rd Street. Yeah, so, you know, he, um, he had this shoe repair store. He had, he had a couple of shops in the East Village, one on St. Mark's Place. Actually, at one time he had two shops. He had one on St. Mark's Place and the other on, uh, on East 9th Street. And so uh, when I was a young child, you know, I'd be there with my mom and my aunts. And, you know, we'd always like, you know, wind up there and, um, my grandfather loved his connection to Italy was listening to the Italian radio station, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, it was on quite frequently back in those days. They were, like on AM radio, they had a, an Italian station. Um, yeah, of course. And, of course. There were so many Italian immigrants. Yeah. So he listened that was... to that. He loved the music. And then my my uh, my my father's brothers were um, were musicians and they. One played violin, my other uncle and mandolin, and my other uncle played the guitar, and you know they played accordion. And they used to, in the 1930s, they used to go and do serenades. Uh, now, the the idea of the serenade um, um, that is like goes back centuries in Italy, and they brought that tradition to 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 the Lower East Side. 
Um, and whereas, you know, people would hire musicians when, you know, they were getting engaged, you know, before the wedding and, um, you know, a, a person would hire these musicians to play under the balconies in Italy. But in New York, in the Lower East Side, they played under the fire escapes. Oh, God. <laughs> that is amazing, God. Yes. And so, you know, my father told me these stories. And then I, you know, I remember when I was a kid. They lived in the Bronx, and I remember going to the Bronx, and you know they they play outside, and you know in the summertime, and they always have these outdoor parties, and they always played, and you know, and my uncle, um, I just started playing guitar when I was uh, probably around 10, 11 years old, and uh, my uncle had this amazing guitar that I always had my eye on, and then one day he gave it to me because he thought that you know he wasn't going to play anymore, and. So he gave me this guitar, and little did I know that this guitar is a very rare guitar. It's called a dobro. Dobro. And dobro, and it was it was invented by these two brothers, the Dopera brothers, and they created this guitar. It's before the electric guitar. It was. And a these are these brothers were American, Italian. They were no, the Dopera brothers were from Eastern Europe. I think they were um, Slovakian. Oh wow! And and then they they shortened the name yes. for the guitar. Yeah, to become the dobro. Now, any guitarist out there will know what a dobro is. Um, it's it's a cherished guitar. It was a resonator guitar before the electric guitar was invented. They oh. they didn't they didn't have really good pickups on the electric guitars in the early, in the nineteen twenties. So they created this resonator guitar, and it has like a metal uh, it, um, resonator with two speakers in it that where the sound came out. It was all acoustic. And that was the guitar my uncle had, and he, ge he gave it to me. That's amazing. What a, what a gift. Uh, it's, hold on a second. Do you want to hear a, a, a second yes, of it? Yes, please, okay. yes. Hold on, I just happen to have it right here. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of radio. <laughs> That is a slide guitar. That is incredible. And it, you know they they did this. You hear that wailing sound? Yes. It was used for blues also. Of course. And I used it in a lot of film scores. You know, it has that also the sound. It creates the imagery of like the Southwest. What a sound. I mean, when you talk about the, it's the first resonator, you can hear it. Yes. And, you know, the, the funny thing was I never knew what it was when I was a kid because my brother and I, my brother Dennis and I, we both played guitars. He, you know, he taught me how to play the guitar because he, he was able to read the book faster than I could. <laughs> was he older than you? Yeah. He's, <laughs> it, so, <laughs> you know, the guitar was like, you know, we, 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 we shared it, but, you know, we used to call it the popcorn machine. Oh, how funny. Because I didn't know what it, what a dobro was. They didn't even call it that. But then later on, and I was looking at it closely, it still has the Pat Pending uh, number on it. Gosh. And then I, when I looked it up, it was like, it was, you know, they got, the, the copyright, I think, was in 1929. So this must have been from around 1928. And uh, that, that you have a piece of history. It is. It you is. have a, a, a historical object in your possession. I know. It's really precious. And, you know, the thing, my, my uncle said he got it during the Depression. He said somebody owed him money. 
Oh, <laughs> this is in the East Village. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, listen, I can't imagine some. What you know, money comes and goes, but that. Guitar, yeah. No, that guitar is is precious, and I, you know, I. So you and your brother formed a band. We formed a band, um, and I don't, you know, we don't remember exactly how we got into this um, this first show that we did. It was at the World's Fair, the New York World's Fair. Incredible. Now, now I'm dating myself. I thought I, that's okay. You look, <laughs> listen, John. I've never met anybody who has has always seems younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess the music keeps me going, you know, keeps That's me right. but, but we had our, you know, our band was called The Fugitives. Right, right. After the movie, After, of course. Well, before the movie, oh, there was a television show. That's right. That's right. It was right. a television. It was like the, it was the number one TV hit because back in the, you know, in the 60s, TV was like, it, it was like, you know, such a, uh, you know, the shows were totally different from today's TV. But we, you know, we follow these TVs, and there was a magazine called the TV Guide. Oh, I remember it well. Yes, everybody had a TV Guide because you know you wanted to read up and see what was coming up. So we used to practice in our basement. Um, you know, we get together, we start practicing, and my brother was the uh, he was the lead, he was the front man, he was the singer, the lead singer. Uh huh. And uh, it was me and a couple of my pals from school. Um, you know, from it was like grade school. That's when we first started to play, and uh, we were looking for a name for the band. So somebody came up with the idea, saying, um, "Let's just get the TV guide, and we'll close <laughs> we'll close our eyes, and whatever page we we'll we'll just point to, to whatever wherever it lands, and it landed on the fugitives, the show, the fugitives." That's an incredible. I love that. <laughs> That's how we got the name of the band. John, your life is filled with magic. There's so much magic already you've already described. Well, I said I it started it. when I was young. So I think <laughs> it just manifested in different, you know, ways. So that's, so that was, I mean, that itself was incredible because we played at the World's Fair and yeah. the, the, at the New York State Pavilion, which is still there. If you pass, if you're going out to Queens, going to Kennedy Airport, you'll see it. It's over by the, um, the tennis stadium and the New York State Pavilion was called. And the, the funny thing was that I'll never forget that day. It was in 1965. It was raining, right? Mm. So we're all excited and we're on the stage. And then we look out and the whole audience was my whole entire family. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> standing there with umbrellas, you know, like and it was like my, my cousins, my aunts, everyone came out to see us. It was just unbelievable. That's how, you know, the families were like so close together, you know. Of course. You yeah, know, my, that's... they all lived in the same area. We all lived close by, you know. So your influence came from your uncles and your grandfather and the radio. Yes, yes the radio and the, and the opera that they used to play on the, you know, my grandfather had the records in the shoe repair store. That's amazing. And what made you, when did you decide to? begin your journey studying Italian folk music and transcribing it. Well, that, okay. There's a whole nother chapter. I know before that, because, <laughs> oh. you know, I started off playing, you know, folk music, American folk music, you know, right. with my because that was the style. That was the style it was the time of, you know, the Kingston trio and then, you know, black uh, Peter, Peter and... Paul and Mary. Yes. Right. We used to go down well, because we were from the East village we used to go to, it wasn't called the East Village then. It was just called the Lower East Side. 
mm-hmm. we would go to um, Washington Square Park. Right. And my, my parents used to take us there on a Sunday and say, let's go to the village. That was like a big thing. Imagine we just all we did was walk <laughs> west <laughs> a few fun. blocks. And that was like, wow. You know, <laughs> there were cafes and was like, really was like a whole different world. Yeah. Was, yeah. You know, so, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the generation that, you know, I started playing guitar was rich with the guitar was making a big comeback, actually, if you if you think of it. Right. Yeah. This, during the folk music. Yeah. Because yes. It was, all, it was all just instrumental voices and yes. guitar. And the guitar was very accessible. Like the first guitar was $15, which was a lot of money for me back then. But, you know, my father paid for it. So, I, <laughs> yeah. But well, I had a promise to him that I was going to stick to it. Of course. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> We're all grateful for that, John. So I didn't, <laughs> you know, without realizing it, I started taking lessons because I wanted to get better than the guys down the block. You know, it was kind of like a competition, you know, like, yeah. so I said, healthy, healthy competition. I'm going to start learning how to read music. And so I took lessons and then I got more and more into it. And I had great teachers and they, 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 a lot of them were Italian Americans that, um, they were familiar with those waltzes and mazurkas also. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, I remember I, I had to get a cabaret card because I started playing out. They said they would hire me for, to play it, you know weddings and you know parties and stuff like that so because i was underage i had to get a cabaret card because i was playing in establishments that served alcohol how old were you i was about 14 oh my gosh (laughs) and i remember them teaching me the waltzes and the polkas and no kids were like you know they they wanted to play rock music and i you know i I loved I i was playing with rock music too but then i was playing with these old italian guys that would like you know just you know Learned, I learned how to play a waltz and, you know, all these serenades. And then I started to get more and more into different styles of music until uh, my father brought home, he used to bring home records all the time. And uh, he brought home a record of Andres Segovia, mm-hmm. the great classical maestro, the classical guitarist. And that changed my whole everything because then I, I, I heard classical guitar. I couldn't believe that it was one instrument, you know, playing and so I started my pursuit of classical guitar. Wow. And, and that led me to the conservatory where I went to uh, the Hart School of Music up in Hartford, Connecticut. In Hartford, yeah. That's the, Which, one of the most famous music Yes. Schools. And at that time, it was one of the few schools that offered a, a Bachelor of Music degree in classical guitar. Wow. And that was my, I was so dedicated to that. And I was, uh, you know... That's when I started to learn about Renaissance music, medieval music. We can had... you can you uh, play us a, a little something on the classical guitar? Okay. Just a little, just a tiny bit. I love music so much. Oh, <laughs> okay. Let, let me find, now. Hold on a second. Then I should get my, I get my um, classical guitar. Yeah. Gorgeous. 
I got into like, you know, all the, the music from different centuries and different periods. And um, I was very lucky because at the Hart School of Music, they also had a great um, master on their lute. Oh, wow. And his name was Joseph Iodone or Iodone. And he was very important in the in early music. He had one of the first early music groups in, in America. Um, and so, you know, I, I studied with him and I was then that opened my world to these, you know, the, the history of the guitar because of, with the lute, you know, that, um, you know, the heyday of the lute was in the Renaissance. So, you know, he taught me a lot about music, you know, and just like about life too, because, you know, they, 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 uh, they did both... he send you to Italy? Is he, well, he it person... wasn't he, but one of his students who became, was also, uh, who, uh, a, a professor at the Hart School of Music. His name was Joseph Del Principe. Mm. He ha- he was a composer and he taught music theory. And um, he had been uh, he had been going to Italy. He had a scholarship to study at the Accademia Chigiana. Uh-huh. And um, he fell in love with Siena. And then when he came back, he um, he wanted to start this program in Siena to bring students there to, to experience the same thing that he you know he had so he was the one that actually set it up and he was a student of Iodone so you know he also played the lute right and, and so when he saw me he said John you belong in Italy and I said really and I said okay <laughs> and so, wow. so that when I graduated when I finished uh, at heart he said this summer we're gonna I'm starting this program and I want you to be, be my assistant and, uh, you know, we're going to have the lute and, and the guitar and you take care of the early music. And I said, wow, this is like a dream. I mean, here I am. I'm like, you know, my first time in Europe and I'm going to Europe. I'm going to Italy to play Renaissance music in Ren- and, and, you know, in, one in of the- Siena, in Siena. one of. <laughs> One of, I mean, that town, essentially, you're walking back in time. I'm going back in time. And then I wind up in that palace. Well, it's, it's extraordinary. It's called the Piccolo Teatro. And on that, in that palace, the Baron, see, he had met the Baronessa and she, she was the one that promoted him to do this school. And she said, I have, I have the perfect place for you to do this, uh, this school. And it's in the Piccolo Teatro. And they, there actually was a Piccolo Teatro with the 17th century stage in it. And all, you know, because she loved dance and they had a dance school there also. And so that was the palace where I first moved to in my first experience in Europe playing medieval and Renaissance music. So I don't know if you can get more magical than that. I, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> you know, and that, that was it. I said, this is it. I'm never coming back to the States. I don't care. I'm staying here. <laughs> and my whole life changed and we used to go to the so then you know that summer i you know put together we did concerts in all the medieval towns in tuscany wow and palaces and castles outdoor at night with torches i'm telling you it was like i was back in time and you know that was it that's all i wanted to do and you know, I mean, uh, most twenty-year-olds cannot tell these stories. You know, most most people cannot say, "In my twenties, <laughs> I was playing uh, Renaissance music in these medieval towns yeah, in Italy." I know, I know. And you know what I would do? Like, I would like before we did the concert, I would go off by myself somewhere and just sit, like, in the corner of the castle, and play, like, a you know, you know, a, a Renaissance 
piece and just sit there. And I wanted to, I felt like my only way to really appreciate where I am is to connect through these, through this music. Because mm-hmm. I felt like mm-hmm. at least the walls will absorb it. And they're, they're like, bring, you know, they'll say, oh, this reminds us of like, you know, when back in the day when they used to play this music, you know, and and, and I just felt like my connection to uh, those those places that that have so much history and i i would feel it you know i felt so strong can i can i tell you i just want to share this because the first time i saw you um i didn't meet you until after the performance but the first time i saw you you were on stage singing uh a sicilian uh I, i don't know what kind of song it was but it was you were just sitting against oh, that was, the wall with your guitar in Martha, Martha Clark. Yes, Hale, yes, that, which was based on the movie, and it was Pels, a near theater workshop. Pels. Yep, and you were sitting there with your guitar, and you were the the sounds out of your soul <laughs> that you were the way you were singing. It was just soul singing, and the way you were playing, and I felt, in fact, that was my favorite part of that production. Um, wow. I felt so connected i I felt i I, immediately i thought i must meet this man because i could hear all of my ancestors in your and in your singing i i felt like i was back in my the country i was born in in the village i was born in and I just knew I had a connection to you and there you were. And so it's kind of what you're describing that that you, the fact that playing the music in that space brought you there. Yes. Uh, Um, Now that, you know, that, that brings me back because when I was, when I was doing that every night, I had to sing that song. Yeah. I was actually, I, I left my body. I was like, I transported myself and I, That's what I experienced, John. I experienced I felt that like I, you transported me. <laughs> and you know what? I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, as an actor, you would understand this. Um, I was given, a, you know, the dress of you know from that period, and they gave me a fedora, a hat. Uh-huh. And whenever I, you know, I'd be getting dressed, and as soon as I put that fedora on, I, it, I was that was my channeling object. Oh, that's cool. That channeling that's object was that cool. fedora. Because when I put that on, I, be, I I left this time and I was back in in that period of time. So I was able to enter into that um, that emotion um, through that, and it was really and and then then I was like reliving all the you know my, all my experiences, and I was channeling the ancestors. You know, it was just very. It was absolutely thank you for reminding me about that oh my god but that's the first time i ever saw you (laughs) and i felt you know i felt i fell in love with an artist i was like oh my god this man i must know him (laughs) well we now we know each other we sure do and (laughs) when did you so so you're in you're playing renaissance Renaissance music you're in and i you're you're in these medieval towns yes and then the the what I mean, because you're a published author, you're you have an encyclopedic knowledge of Italian folk music and Italian folk music. You wrote this beautiful short story that's not Italian music. And <laughs> and essentially, you know, in the States, people think Italian music is Connie Francis, mm-hmm. Louis Prima. When they think of old Italian, yeah, music, I know, it's I like know. Well, you know, Louis Prima, Connie Francis. They think of Rosemary Clooney singing. Yeah. Um, 
you know, come on to my house, my yes. house. <laughs> it's funny because uh, not I'm not including Connie Francis in that part, but these people, Louis Prima, yeah. Rosemary Clooney, there is kind of, and these songs are fun, but there's a little bit of this clownish kind of, you know, there was a sense of humor mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's very stereotypical. Yeah. Well, um, and it's a, and it's a character, it's a caricature, a stereotype of Italian immigrant, whether it's the accent or, and I love, listen, I love come on to my house, but yeah. you know, that's not well, Italian a, folk music. I know. Well, there's a whole f- I thought of that over and over again because I also grew. I grew up with you know with those with the music and I I remember right. putting Connie Francis on you know when I was a kid the rec we had all our records and I would put it on before we had dinner on Sunday and yeah it's, all the love it's beautiful you know but the thing was yeah. I, that was uh, you know I wanted to find out like why was that the only music that we knew and we grew up with what happened to like you know the folk music. Um, and there's, you know, there, there's a lot of, I mean, I could write a whole story about just that and of the course. reason for that. But, you know, if, if you. Um... I know the reason. Can I can I offer my Go ahead. Uh, my theory? Yes. Well, the first, I mean, this is different for me because we emigrated when I was little and uh, that was at the, the very at the, right around 1970, mm-hmm. which was different. And my parents, my mom refused to learn English. So I grew up speaking Italian. But a lot of the older immigrants that came much earlier, yeah, um, they were uh, the Italian immigrants were not, as, as well as the Irish immigrants before them, were not treated well. No, so there was a big, big push to assimilate. Yes, they weren't allowed to, to speak. To... And you were, and this is what I find with a lot of uh, kids, my friends whose parents had, and whose parents' parents were immigrants, or whose you know great grandparents were immigrants. And the the language was lost. Yeah, the language was lost, but not for me because I was too close. We, yeah. I just never lost the language. And ninety five percent of my relatives are still in Italy, so we had to hold on to the language. So what happened is people did not want to listen to music they didn't understand. Exactly. Yeah. Well, do you, do you know, like, um, in the early part of the twentieth century, when as soon as recording starts to appear. Um, you know, as early as well, 1917 was the first jazz recording. Mm-hmm. There was a big um, recording project of recording the immigrants. Oh, I love that! And if you the in the archives, I think it's in the Library of Congress. There are all these recordings of immigrant groups, and there are thousands of records of that were made of Italian immigrants, and they were before were they playing? They weren't playing. You know the the songs of you know like that we heard in the fifties. They were playing the folk music. Yeah, gosh, those recordings, exi- bagpipers, and pe- you know the Italian bagpipes. You know the, the. And where do people find these recordings? There was a, I think it was Spotswood. Richard Spotswood put this uh, um, collection together, uh, an anthology of folk music. Um, so valuable. And you can find these recordings of. The early Italian immigrants, not only Italian immigrants, but Jewish immigrants, Eastern European, you know, yep, Polish, of, course. of the immigrants that were, you know, in the cities and they recorded them. I'm so lucky because my mom loves to sing and I was exposed to so much of the old Italian folk songs. Um, also, uh, Claudio Villa, 
Yeah. You know, I, I was exposed to all this because my mom loved to sing and I heard her sing and they also had the Italian radio station on. And also whenever I went to visit my grandparents in Italy, my aunts and uncles, Zia, Zia, Nonni, I, I heard the music and I have somewhere and I couldn't find it for today. But I have my grandmother who's long passed. I have her singing an ancient folk song oh, wow. and I have, I have a, a video of it. And then I also wrote it down, but it's in such heavy dialect. I have no idea what she's singing because the dialect when she was yes. little was much thicker. And I, and I don't know what she's singing. Well, so someday I'm going to figure well, it out. Well, <laughs> you know, now that you, you know, now, okay. So here's the thing. Um, even in Italy, you know, a lot of the folk music was dying out. Yes, of course, because they were doing exactly what with the advent of radio. Yes, a lot of the folk music was dying out. And uh, what preserved it was from the works of uh, Alan Lomax and Diego Carpitella. uh, Alan Lomax was American folklorist from the Lomax family that, you know, even his father went around collecting the cowboy songs and the songs of the, um, you know, the West you know, in the early generations. And then Alan Lomax carried on in his father's tradition. And he was a folklorist. And then went to Europe to collect the folk music of Europe. And this was in the 50s. And right. so he, go, he goes to Italy. And at the time, uh, the musicologist was Diego Carpitella. Mm-hmm. And they teamed up and they went around all over Italy recording in the fields. Mm. The, those ancient voices oh yeah before they were dying out because by the 1960s like after the war you know italy went through so many changes and was you know the it was you know they wanted to get modernized and you know things were changing and so by the 1960s and 70s a lot of that uh, because of television and radio and the by by then the influence of american music had a great effect uh, on uh, italian music yeah, of course. Oh my God. Yeah, the American music was, you know, you look at the, you know, like the 1950s, you know, there was like, you know, when you, of course, at the same time as Rosemary Clooney and Connie Francis, they were um, in Italy, you had songs like that that started to appear also. So a lot of the folk music was disappearing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, <sighs> it's interesting because even the song, um, you know, the one that I had in Village Stories. Yeah. Uh, the one the one that became a, uh, a song against the fascists. Bella, Bella Ciao. Ciao. Yes, yes. You know, that was originally, that was originally the women in the fields. Yes. The women in the fields were singing it. And it was about, and, and there was this whole kind of caste system. They had a landowner that they worked for mm-hmm. and their hours were horrific yeah. and they, but they had to work. And the song was a, a, against the oppressive landowners and it was also about losing their looks yeah. because they had worked so hard that's what that song was about yes. so a lot of these old folk songs are about oppression all of this I you know I okay I was in Italy I got to Italy in 1973 so as I was saying you know the, the folk music was dying out but because of these recordings of Alan Lomax and Diego Carpitella they had made uh, Columbia Records produced um, the Lomax collection, which is now it was later um, made available on on, D, on CD, mm-hmm. and um, it's a wonderful collection. If if anyone wants to listen to, you know, the, those ancient voices, um, 
they should look that up because but you know like i i learned about that in the 70s because by the 1970s there was a big movement in italy to um to to make these songs come back again to survive because they were dying out and after i was in siena you know with my, like a, you know with the renaissance music and the classical music i moved to florence i had a scholarship to study in florence Mm-hmm. I I went for my I was going for my master's degree, and uh, and so I I didn't even see all of this happened. <laughs> after that summer in, in Siena, I said I'm not going. I was I was thinking about moving to London then because I was already on the continent, so I was going to go up to London. And there was a chance I had a uh, a job at the, the guitar center in London because I had written to them. You know, over the months I sent them a letter and they said, well, when you come to London, we'll you know, we'll try to, you know, get you some students. And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do because I didn't have any money. And I was just going to, you know, figure it out when I got there. <laughs> that's a, actually, that's that's a great title for, someone, for any artist. <laughs> I'll figure it out <laughs> when I get there. <laughs> That'll be my next story. I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> Which I did. I mean, you know, I'll tell you, I, I hitchhiked all over Europe with my guitar on my back. That's amazing. I didn't need any money. I just like went from town to town and, you know, and I ma- I made it up to London after the Siena program was over. Before I left there, I went to Florence and I auditioned. So I was waiting to hear back to them to see if I got into that school. So I figured, all right, let me go up to London. I took the train, like a 21 hour train ride with a, with, a, with a suitcase with a handle, which you had to carry. There was no back... There was nothing on your back to, you know, like uh, with wheels. They didn't invent that yet. The wheel wasn't invented on the suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> so it was heavy lifting. It was heavy, heavy lifting. Heavy lifting. And my guitar, I had a case that was made out of wood. It was a solid wood case with a handle also. So here I am. I got, and, and my suitcase was weighed down. It felt like I was carrying a ton of bricks in there because... All I had in there was like few clothes, but mostly books. Oh wow, which are even heavier. <laughs> I had books. I had books and sheet music on guitar music. More, than, I, had, I had more of that than clothes. <laughs> oh God! And so I get. What, so, go ahead. Go ahead. I got to London and my, my suitcase broke. My my handle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you going to carry a suitcase with no handle? Gosh. I had to, I had to come up with something with my belt <laughs> and drag it. I mean, I don't know what I did. So, so anyway, that whole stint in London, in England, I I hitchhiked all the way up to to Wales with my guitar, and you know, then I said, okay, I have to go back to Italy, and I, you know, so I moved to Florence. The broken suitcase brought you back to the Italy. broken suitcase, and uh, <laughs> that's a so that was that, and so I got back to Florence, and I said, this is it. You know, I, I uh, you know, I was accepted to this beautiful school and this beautiful villa outside of Fiesole, and um, it was. They also it was a school of music and art. They did art restoration there. That's amazing, <sighs> John. So then, so what? I know you've written books about folk music. When did you start? Going uh-huh. up and down. Okay, <laughs> this is where the, it starts. The, the country. Okay, well, this is where it all the starts. The boot. Because I, okay, so I, I'm still playing my classical guitar, and I'm like trying to make a living, like to to survive in Florence. And I used to play by the Uffizi, 
I take my guitar and sit outside the Fitzy and play, you know, busking, you know, like, yeah. And then meeting people. Um, now at the same time, my best friend, Dave, David Blazer, um, he was, he, he was going to, uh, study medicine in Florence and he came upon these musicians that were, um, they, he said, John, you got to listen to these guys sing. They have these beautiful voices. They sing in three part harmony and they do all this amazing folk folk music from they're all from Puglia mm. and they're playing Renaissance folk music. And I said, this is amazing. I, you know, I would love to meet them. So they, you know, we, we met and that changed my whole life. That was it because they, they were students as, like me. They were students of architecture, but they, they were singing the songs, these tarantellas and pizzicas from Puglia, which is the land of the pizzica that I knew nothing about, but I did love, mm -hmm. you know, because I studied Renaissance music. They were singing Renaissance folk music from Naples. Wow. From the 1500s. Oh, that's amazing. They started to sing these songs called Villanelle. Mm -hmm. And what does that sound like? The Villanelle Napoletana. If you look it up, if you never heard anything of it, but this is the beginning of polyphony of, of uh, these were, um, they, they were written down but they were they were using the they was they were sung in Neapolitan, the mm -hmm. Neapolitan language of the 16th century, and they were in three part harmony. It actually became so Naples at that time was the the center of culture. It was like the the capital of southern Italy was Naples, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was during the time of the Spanish domination when Spain was in in uh, in Naples. So these songs also became, they were love songs and yeah. they were political songs as well. Isn't that amazing that these songs are considered, oh, folk, oh, Italian folk music, that they were so complicated musically. Yes. That they were politically uh, uh, themed, that there was, uh, pr they were protest songs. Protest songs. They were songs against the, the tax, the taxation. The, the taxation. The, 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 uh, oppression but, it's a, i mean so complicated so so sophisticated and people kind of weigh them off they, we did a song that was about the the um the taxing of uh of uh that was the the songs that the bakers sang it, oh it was called in, in galera li panettiere oh my and god and how did you i can't remember the words but it was and they sang but it was about it was about the taxing yes so now when when this so i was in 1970 by 1974 1975 because i had stayed there i was there i didn't come back to the states i was there for at least almost two years and my life had gone on and i had you know met these musicians and we started to practice and you know they taught me all these songs like uh, they brought them they brought me to their apartment and they would sit me down in the chair and say, Johnny, you got to learn these songs. We're going to do a show. And I said, okay. So I said, I, you know, they just sang them to me and I had to memorize everything. Oh, wow. One after just another. By, by, you were memorizing it by listening. By listening. That's See, that is, I, I, no wonder you're so gifted, John, because that kind of learning yeah. just stays with you for the rest of your well, life. Well, that was it. I had to like sit there and of course they fed me and they gave me a lot of wine <laughs> <laughs> but, 
they were great cooks. That's, <laughs> I know. That makes sense. But I was learning this <laughs> this music that they that they learn by ear. It's oral tradition. That's the way it is. It's the oral tradition. And I was and that's how I learned everything I know from uh, the Italian music I know is for listening to my mom sing, my 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 relatives in Italy. Sing. Yes, it is, and it becomes ingrained, you know. And even the stories. The stories become ingrained if you hear them over and over. So then, you know, we started to practice and practice. And, you know, we would we would go through the streets of Florence looking for the best acoustics. So we would find like a, you know, a, a, a doorway or, you know, in the in a monastery and just with that harmony and the harm, the harmonies of the of the sound of the chords of the music and and people would gather around us like you know like we were in a second we would have all these people like circling us and we'd sing and do a performance in the piazzas uh, and, and so one song after another and i was like wow this is such an amazing repertoire how many songs can there be i mean they <laughs> i was like well, <laughs> you know and they also played the frame drums they were masters of the frame drum which is used in the tarantella. Yes, and that's when they brought me into the world of the pizzica and the tarantella because we started doing these pizzicas. And then I started learning more and more of them. And, and the, you know, then I moved in with them. We all lived together. And uh, by that time, they were, the group was, was becoming more and more well-known. And um, we, it started to become a theater group. Right. Angelo right. Savelli, a wonderful director. Um, and he was, you know, he knew so much about the folklore and the ritual, ritual theater. So he right. took these songs and he, we, we created these performances, like they were at theatrical shows based on this music. La Terra del Remorso, I Balli di Susania, even Don Giovanni. Don Giovanni also goes back to Commedia dell'arte. So we used these songs in the ritual theater and we started to perform all over like Europe. We traveled, we had a bus and we would, we would set the stage up, you know, a wooden stage in the back of the bus. We'd set it up in the piazza and go to the next town. We crossed the Alps. We went up to Brussels and France and Germany and Switzerland. And, and did these guys speak English or you no, were speaking Italian? Uh, no, I spoke Italian. I, you know, that's how I learned Italian basically with them because we lived together in the house and we, you know, yeah. all we did, we just played music constantly. Every, as soon as I woke up till I went to sleep at night, that we we played music. That's so beautiful. And, the groups, and when did you start composing? Well, that's was what, that. What, that's when I realized the connection between theater and music because we started to do more and more theater, mm -hmm. and then you know, like the underscoring had to be done and. You know, I started to find this connection and it brought me, made me realize so much, you know, the connection of music and, and theater. And, and um, that's got me to be more, you know, composing in this style because I wanted to, by the time I came back to the States in 1980, you know, meeting with Alessandra, Alessandra Belloni, that, you know, we had become friends in the 70s at the Cafe Dante. Because mm -hmm. whenever I came home from Italy, I would, hang out down there and then i met alessandra and uh, that started a whole she she wound up coming to italy to look for me and she 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 met me in florence when you know when the, when the group was really doing a lot of we were touring and everything and so she started to become more interested in, in the music and then uh, she wrote to me to come back to the states 
to form a group in New York. And I, I, I didn't really want to. I didn't want to go back to New York. Right. Uh, but then, I, you know, my father was getting older and my parents. And I wound up coming back, you know. It was kind of a sad end of that whole but it was the whole 70s basically where you know i had the time to explore and then the folk music and so then when we started our our company july di piazza um you know it was based on the traditional folk music and then but then we started to do you know some original shows and that's when i started to compose more and more because i wanted to evolve the traditional music um in a, in a way that um you know, it it adheres to the style of of all that music. You know, so finding my 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 signature sound of you know using the Sicilian the the, uh, the Italian folk music that I had learned mm-hmm. in in, uh, in in all those years started to come through with my own voice, and so I continued composing. I started um, when I first went to Siena. I was studying composition in Siena at the uh, Academic Hijana. But I was, you know, at that time I started, I remember the first song that I wrote, going back to the story of the tree, was yeah. I wrote a song to the tree. Oh, <laughs> and it was, it was performed in Siena. <laughs> but you- John, you know, that's a perfect place where, uh, that's so, that, talk about, I mean, we started off t- asking when was the first time you experienced magic? And that tree kind of took us through you know, it's a big, it's a big circle back to this, this moment you were inspired and these trees were so inspirational to you. And that the first thing you composed was, was something in honor of a tree. That's extraordinary. I know. And then that tree came back to me later. I think somewhere, let's see when in the nineties, I was in a dream and I started to think about this tree and I, um, you know, traveling to the South because, you know, from the 70s and 80s, I did a, I, I did a lot of research on the Italian music, on Italian folk music and going to towns and learning songs from, you know, friends and family, learning the songs from them and, and being in situations in Calabria and in Naples and, and in Puglia where I met, you know, so many wonderful people that we just sat down and played. And I, you know. Right. You know, learning more and more, learning the style. You you know, to learn this music, you have to live it. Of course you do. And I lived it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the reason why I put together those two books, because the, the, I, I felt after 30 years of... The books are, um, uh, let's see, the, that's not Italian music. Um, um, that's the story. The two, that's the story. The two books that I have are um, the first one I put out is with Mel Bay Publishing Company, which is like Mel Bay is the largest string publisher in the world. They distributed mm-hmm. worldwide. And when I first started to play the guitar, my first book was a Mel Bay book. Oh, the gosh. Mel Bay Guitar Method. Oh, wow. And your, your, your whole life is, is, is crazy. a fairy tale. It's so my it's two books are with tale. Mel Bay. I got the two books yeah. published by them. So the first book was called Traditional Southern Italian Mandolin and Fiddle Tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that book, uh, I you know, one of the reasons why I did the book was like over the years of playing with the, with the Giulia di Piazza, I had all the music written down by hand and was all my handwritten scrap. You know, I would teach the musicians, you know, in New York, 
how to play the music, the style, and, and give them the scores. And then I would arrange the music for them. And, you know, so I had all, you know, all this stuff, like piles and piles of music everywhere. And I said, you know, I'm going to put together a book, a fake book, they call it, like in uh, jazz musicians. Oh, yeah, sure. They call it the fake book, where you have two, one tune after another, like an anthology. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, I know those. But those books, a lot of uh, Broadway singers use books. Yeah. Like so then I said, I'm going to make my own anthology because I'm tired of keep searching and looking for music that's so scattered everywhere. So then I, you know, I started to put this together, and then I, 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 uh, I, I approached uh, Mel Bay, and I told them about it, and they, um, you know, they, they gave me the go ahead, and then I, I published the first book, and I made it for mandolin because, oddly enough, there were no books on Italian mandolin. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean nowadays there's books for everything. Yeah, but, but that, then at that time then, there was that... no because I didn't research, and they said you know there are no Italian um, folk music books on mandolin. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, because I was going to do it on guitar. Right. But then with the. There's a million books on guitar. Yeah. So then, like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if it's guitar, if mandolin or piano, it's still the melody and the words and the music and you could, the chords and you could play it on any instrument. So that was all on the music of Southern Italy. And it was mm -hmm. based on the songs that I chose. I chose every one of the single song in that book. I have a description of the song not just the music but the background behind the song what it's about that's beautiful the historical that's... importance and you know um where the song you know was the source of where i found it that's 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 so valuable and people who are true artists appreciate that because that gives more resonance well yeah because in, yeah because that was because that was my curiosity I was asking questions like, where does this song come from? What does it mean? What, you know, and I figured why not share that with, you know, around, you know, just share it with more people. Yeah. And your second book was the Italian folk music for mandolin. Yep. And that book is, um, that includes Italian folk music is from the North of Italy to the South of Italy. Cause Italy is one, one that I learned from Diego, from um, Alan Lomax. He said that Italy has the most complete folk music um, it, it's like the most complete country that has all styles of folk music from work songs, work ballads, love ballads, love songs. Every style of folk music can be found in in Italy. That's amazing. And that's what Alan Lomax said. And Wow. He and he was collecting from all over. The yes, world. he was collecting from all over the world. But he, that's, you know. Eh. Well, Italians love to sing. You know, is, I know. That is a and it's, cultural Truth. You know what's funny? <laughs> During this whole time, this was back in the seventies, actually, because when I came back to New York for a short period of time, um, I started to look into like I started my masters in Florence, and then I dropped out because my teacher quit. <laughs> oh god! So that's when I went into the streets, and I said, "Okay, screw that." But I'm just gonna, and that's then I started playing the folk music with Pupi Frazette, was was the name of the group that I was working with. Mm hmm. And then I discovered that at New York, in New York City at Hunter College, you could get a, a master's degree in ethnomusicology. Hmm. And so I, I went there and I applied for it and I met with the professor there. Her name was Rose Brandel, wonderful woman. And um, she, was, uh, she, was, uh, she wrote books on African uh, folk music. And so she said, John, you have to come to my class. You have to, you know, you have to get your degree in, in ethnomusicology from Hunter. And I said, I know, I'd love to, but then I have to go back to Italy because my friends are calling me. They're, they're doing a tour, and <laughs> and so she said, Well, when you when are you going? And so I said, I'm not sure yet. I, you know. So then she would like be calling my house and 
she was actually tracking me down. She said, John, you're the one that has to do Italian folk music in America. You, there's nobody doing that. Nobody was getting a degree in ethnomusicology and Italian folk music at that time. This is in the 70s. She wound up paying my tuition. She said, John, I'm going to pay for you. That's amazing. Yes. Can you believe you it? You were the chosen one, John. I'm telling you, with that, you know, but unfortunately, I, I, you know, I dropped out because, and she was, I guess she felt really bad, you know, that I didn't complete, because you know what I felt? I felt that, okay, I, I could be learning about Italian folk music and getting a degree in it, but where? From in New York? I had to go back to Italy to live it. I don't want to read yes. about it. I want to live it. Yeah. So that's what Good I, for you. Then I went back that's to Italy. the artist you are. Then I went back to Italy and we started touring again and doing more shows and we made an album and in Milano called La Terra del Rimorso, which is based on a very important book by Ernesto Di Martino. Mm -hmm. And that's the book that most musicologists and ethnomusicologists, um, it's a very important book in the folklore of Tarantismo. Mm. He did mm -hmm. all this research on the South, La Terra del Rimorso. Terra del Remorso, the land of remorse. Yes, and we wound up doing that show. So we toured the show in Europe. And the first album that we recorded on a vinyl record called La Terra del Remorso. And I'm, I was so happy to be on that album. But my friends mm. that I had met in Florence in the earlier days, and we stayed together all that time. And that, that album it, right now, is I mean, it became like a very... You know, it's like a collector's item. And I want to say the last time I saw you this year was in February. And you were premiering these beautiful scores to Charlie Chaplin's The Immigrant, uh, yeah. as well as Asunta Spina, which was an another silent film from what year? 1915. And those two scores were exquisite. And a Santa Note. That's the one you did the... And yes, and Santa Note. Well, that was, that was it. Right. That's why I felt like we're doing those Neapolitan films, you know, and, and of those, uh, those pioneer women that directed those films. That's right. Asunta Spina and a Santa Note were both yes. directed by women at the, at the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, that was, that was you know... That's why I felt like I have to keep composing and writing, you know, like, you know, especially with the silent films, I, you know, I, it just opened up a whole new world for me. And they're exquisite, just like you. Um, oh, thank you. I am so thrilled that we got to <laughs> share this time. Uh, yeah, I, I could you. do I could do three hours with you, <laughs> you know, as opposed to just one hour. Well, <laughs> can we can you um, just give us a tiny bit of mandolin? To oh yeah this and um you know the 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 whole theme of the tree i just wanted to add that tree. oh the I, tree of good wind the tree of good wind is, i could did i tell you oh i could play a little bit of that for you too i if would you want. love for you to play a little bit of that that's based on magic of a magical tree in benevento which is not far from where you're from well that's a perfect way to end this episode can you I play, play that the tree benevent the tree of good wind yes it's called in Italian, it's called Albero, Albero di Benevento. Albero di Benevento. And this is it. It's based on the legends of the um, the witches of Benevento. 
Oh, but it'll be Benevento. That was an abbreviated version of it, but gorgeous. To, to give you an idea, I just want to mention your film scores that you've done. Oh yeah, they are the Academy Award-nominated documentary *Children's yes. Face*. Oh, wonderful! Um, that's one of them. Italian immigrants in California finding the mother load, Sacco and Vincetti, Pane Amaro, Neapolitan Heart, and La Festa, and Tarantella, and Sister Italy. You... Also, did you just mention that? Which one? Sister Italy. Oh, Sister Italy. Uh, no, I did not mention that. Oh, yeah. And I also want to mention that you were the composer and the musical director of John Torturo's off-Broadway production of Souls of Naples. Yes. Oh, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, yeah. And oh, as God. well as Chaos that you were yeah, uh, composing think, for Chaos. Well, that, that's what happened after all those years of, you know, playing that, like, you know, and, and being around that real folk music that I, you know, was fortunate enough to be in Italy during the first re folk revival of the seventies changed my whole life. And then, you know, I started composing more and more in that style. And I guess you became the expert. Well, I got know, calls not only, all the not, time not, for that. Of course, because, because obviously there were so few people who were playing this music, who understood the music, understood the history. And not yeah. only that you lived it, you know, you I lived know. it and you, you learned it in a way that is just so extraordinary. It just doesn't happen anymore. Well, you know, that's the thing I felt like, you know, when I listen to like scores that people write that try to, you know, to try to make it sound Italian, it doesn't sound Italian at all because they don't No. I mean, you can, you can, anybody could create an Italian sound, you know, what they think is Italian sound, but they're, bas right. they're basing it off of the sound of the, the Italian music. That's like, you know, stereotype typical. I am forever indebted to you for coming on the show. Thank oh, thank you, you so, so much for inviting me. You I are can... an encyclopedia of <laughs> of uh, the history of of folk music in the states and in Europe, and um, I look forward to collaborating with you more. I know. I can't wait till we can perform again. Perform again. See each other in person again. <laughs> I'm going to play a little bit of the Tarantella Alamante Maranese. Okay, fabulous. Okay. <laughs>
Bravo! And that's the way I sign off. That's fabulous. Grazie, Okay. Ci vediamo. A presto. Un abbraccio. Ciao, bella. Ciao. Ciao, bello. Grazie. And that was John T. La Barbera, the internationally acclaimed musician, composer, and educator. Thanks for tuning in to Compass with Antoinette Lavecchia. Ciao, and see you next time. Thank you.